It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskin. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 9th of November. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. Yesterday, the Taoiseach spelt out the reality of a climate change to world leaders attending COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. Across the world, we are witnessing the reality of a climate, of a changing climate. Record temperatures, uh, wildfires, floods and droughts. What were once exceptional events are now occurring with increased frequency and ferocity. People in the poorest parts of our planet are being driven from regions that can no longer support and sustain them. Climate change is fueling conflict, global instability, competition for resources and abject human misery. If this generation doesn't step up urgently, future generations will not forgive us. Gosh, that's terrible, isn't it? Michal Martin didn't mince his words, and do you know what? He's not the only one who is predicting a doomsday scenario. We are on a highway to climate hell with our foot still on the accelerator. Mr. Secretary-General, you said we are on a highway to climate hell. We need to take our foot off the gas. We need to obey the first law of holes. When you're in one, stop digging. Let us not take the highway to hell. Let us earn the clean ticket to heaven. That is our responsibility. So, plenty of talk, plenty of sound bites en route to Armageddon. Ursula von der Leyen, Al Gore and Antonio Guterres invoking an ACDC downward trajectory towards hell, along with the Taoiseach predicting death and destruction. All fine words. What was it Greta Thunberg said about all of this talk? Blah, blah, blah. So what are we going to do about it? The burden of climate change globally is falling most heavily on those least responsible for our predicament. 
Ireland has therefore published an international climate finance roadmap, reaffirming our commitment to supporting the world's most vulnerable people. We are more than doubling our finance to at least 225 million a year by 2025. We will not see the change we need without climate justice. I'm therefore pleased to announce that Ireland will contribute 10 million to the Global Shield Initiative for 2023 to protect the most vulnerable from climate loss and damage. That's Micheál Martin. Now let's uh, discuss uh, this with Sinn Féin's spokesperson on climate, Darren O'Rourke, who's a TD for me, the stand, Fianna Fáil, Senator Malcolm Byrne. Good morning to both of you. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Malcolm Byrne, first of all, your party leader there telling the world's leaders that time is running out, action is needed and we need to act now. It's a bit rich, isn't it, coming from a country that has recently as a year or two ago, described itself as a climate laggard. Uh, Well, good morning, uh, Michael and Darren, and indeed to your listeners. And uh, yes, the challenge of climate change is the biggest uh, global challenge uh, that we face. Um, It's an existential challenge. It's something that, you know, one country on its own uh, can't solve. Uh, And certainly it has been a case that Uh, Ireland has been a climate laggard. Um, We haven't until recently been taking uh, some of the tough actions uh, that that were necessary. Um, What we have now done is we've introduced climate change legislation with binding targets. Uh, And you will recall that there was a bit of controversy around this, uh, but targets on for every sector uh, with regard to reducing our emissions. Uh, and why this is important, um, and people will be aware, I mean, people will know this summer was one of the driest that we had in Ireland, uh, and indeed one of the hottest in Europe, and people will also be aware about, you know, the increased number of random adverse rain events, um, you know, and wind events that we would have had in Ireland, uh, you know, the last while. When people talk about, you know, once in a century or once in a generation events, and they're now happening every year, we know that the climate is changing. Uh, so we have these targets in place. They're going to be tough. Um, if we are going to reach a 50% reduction in uh, carbon emissions by the end of the decade, um, that means everyone is going to you know, have to play our part. We're going to have to change how we live and do things. And that's why the government has also put in place measures to support that transition. So particularly for agriculture, uh, there are financial supports in place that will support mm. farmers doing what they do because what farmers are okay. interested in... Maybe we can get into the... ...sustainability of their farms... Uh, as well as obviously sustainability of the Maybe we can get into the sectors uh, in a moment, but let's stay with uh, the principle. You agree Ireland has been a climate laggard, but you say that has changed because of legally binding targets. Let's talk a, a little bit about those targets uh, because between 20 and 25, the target was for Ireland to reduce emissions by 4.8% a year, every year. Last year, instead of reducing emissions by 4.8%, they increased by 6%. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. And let's just think about... if we So what's changed? Are we not still a laggard? Uh, no, well, the, the, the measures are now coming into, into place and are going to have to be accelerated over the next number of years. It's, it's, you know, we're not seeing the full impact. I mean, the objective is... No, we're you know, not. Maybe, maybe for our listeners, I'll just repeat that. The emissions should have reduced last year by 4.8% under these legally binding targets, but it increased by 6%. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, that, that, that is the case. Now, there is a slight because obviously COVID would have disrupted a lot of activity. So to give you an example, we, we, did, res- we did achieve, uh, and, and this was globally, um, during uh, 2020, a 7% reduction in emissions. But people will remember that in 2020, we effectively closed everything down uh, in order to achieve uh, you know, that, 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 that level of reduction. We are, over the next decade, we are going to see significant changes in transport. Uh, We are going to see significant changes in agriculture and food production. In fact, in everything that we do, um, there there are changes. And this is part of why, when you look at the National Development Plan, there's very extensive investment in public transport, particularly in rail, envisage the transition away Mm. from... Mm. Uh, you know, using fossil fuels to heat our homes and so on. That's why our, that's where the money from the carbon levy mm. is going. Um, we, we've got to do all of this, Michael. And I know it's not going to be... Uh, well, uh, I mean, talk is talk and talk is cheap. Uh, well, action, well, what's, action, what's action, action, action results in reductions. Uh, and uh, whilst... Uh, all we have at the moment is talk and we don't have results. Uh, let's go to Sinn Féin because uh, at least Fianna Fáil and the government parties have targets. Uh, what has Sinn Féin to offer, Darren O'Rourke? Well, we've, uh, we, we've, we've supported government um, in, in setting those targets, um, played a, a helpful role. I think it's agreed um, in setting out the, the Climate Action Bill. We wanted to see some, some additional amendments to it, as we would see to strengthen it uh, around, you know, the area of, of a just transition. But I think it's really important and it's it's... You know, it shouldn't be taken for granted that um, across the political spectrum in in Ireland there is a recognition of the climate challenge. There is a recognition of the the need to hit a 51% reduction by 2030 and the need to uh, reach net zero by 2050. Where we disagree with government um, is, you know, how you go about achieving that, and, and we've we've been critical of, of them. But I think, you know, it is it is important at this time. What's the same plan? Well, the Sinn Féin plan, and we've set it out in, in, in a number of documents, including our alternative budget. Um, in the next 24 hours, we'll be launching a document uh, around our vision for renewables. I think there is a, a huge opportunity. The cornerstone, I think, for, for, for Ireland um, in terms of our transition will be in the move towards renewables. So electrifying uh, everything that we do, our transport system, our heating system, and we can do that and pay, play a, a really positive role, not just here, but, but internationally in in helping that transition to a, an electric future and move away from fossil fuels. So, so we need to see the significant ramping up of uh, the rollout of, of onshore wind, offshore wind, solar. Do we have the time for that? Uh, and how do you encourage people? Uh, I mean, you're opposed to a carbon tax, aren't you? Well, we're, we're opposed to increasing the carbon tax on the basis that, um, that that the alternatives are not there for, for people. And when the alternatives are not there for people, um, they, 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 uh, it, it is a, a punitive measure. But I'll make, I'll make this point, mm. Michael, because it's important. Like this idea of, you know, tax and spend, incrementalism, at the root of everything we're talking about here, and you, you introduced the, the piece with this really fatalistic, like we're on completely the wrong trajectory. You know, they were on completely the wrong yeah. trajectory and it needs to be rectified. The idea that we will do that through incremental approaches, uh, um, I, I just don't see it happening. Well, you have to, you have to take some approach. 
What's Sinn Féin's approach uh, towards agriculture, for example? Uh, well, what kind What kind of cuts in emissions do you want from agriculture? Because yeah, well, you've been taking a long time coming uh, to uh, an opinion on it. No, no. I, I, t- to be fair, Michael, we're, we're not in government, we're in opposition, so we don't have the resources of, of government to come up with. You know, so, so government have, have paid McKinsey, you know, in the region of a million euros to come up with a, a, an extensive report that they won't give us access to. But um, So you don't know? No, no. Across, so, so we've, well, we've, we, support, we support the target of 25% that has been agreed by government when we're in opposition. When we're in government, we will have the same resources that government have, and we'll prepare our own climate action plan. At, at the minute, we critique governments and come up with our okay. proposals. So we've come up with proposals in relation Well, there's to an endorsement uh, for your position, Malcolm Byrne, on agriculture. Well, it's, it's, it's welcome. It's the first time, uh, you know, that Sinn Féin has made clear that it supports the position on agriculture, which was a difficult position. And whatever criticisms about, about government, and, and this is not, you know, these are not easy decisions, um, but they have to be made. And what government did was we set out mm. very clearly a climate action plan. We set out targets that, were, that are binding, that have to be met. We set out, you know, proposals as to how, you know, just transition and, and so on would happen and how it would be funded, which is the carbon tax, because it's very easy to call for lots of spending uh, without, uh, you know, a, a ring-fenced funding measure in place. And look, I get that these measures are unpopular. Mm. But if oh, we they're, well, they're very unpopular with farmers. But if we uh, don't uh, take, but if we don't take, but, 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 and I'll come to that, Michael, but yeah. if we don't take some of these measures, the long-term costs are going to be far more serious. Because if we're going to be dealing, if you're going to be dealing with, you know, severe weather events mm. in Meath and Louth, including rivers bursting their banks and increased coastal flooding, mm. you know, and damage to infrastructure, the cost of repairing that because of weather events, is going to be far more significant than some of the challenges yeah. we have. Now, the, the, I, I the, 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 problem is, the problem is understanding it, uh, giving us some tangible information. It's one thing saying we're going to reduce uh, emissions in transport uh, by 20% or 50%. Well, I can't remember offhand what the, 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 mm-hmm. the target is. Uh, it's a different thing saying uh, you're going to pay a fortune for petrol and diesel uh, and it'll be much cheaper to drive an electric car. And that's something I can understand. It's tangible. Uh, like like with agriculture, uh, I think your position is somewhere between 22 and 30 percent. Darren O'Rourke has said he'd agree with 25 percent. Uh, and there are figures that mean very little to anybody. But yes. does it mean in reality, does it mean in reality uh, that you have to reduce the national herd? Or can that cut be achieved without reducing the national herd? It, 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 it can. There, I mean, there are ways in which it, it, it can be done. So, for instance, uh, where we talk about slaughtering animals uh, earlier, uh, there's also a lot of money that's going into research into animal feeds. So some of it is including looking about, uh, you know, improving what animals eat so that, you know, what comes out at the other end, if you like, if you like yeah. uh, doesn't contribute. There isn't a the time for that, though, is there? So no, no, but, but, mm. but actually it is, it is starting to happen. I mean, there's a lot of research that's going on in, mm. in, in that area and in terms of looking at... You mm. know, and it's happening very quickly, but not fast stuff. enough. I, 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 I accept, look, like all of these things, you know, if we could reduce to 50% in the morning, we can, but we've mm. got to bring people with us. Uh, you know, it, it, you can't, in, in rural areas in particular, we've got to put in place the necessary public transport mm. network. So that's why there's more money being given, for instance, uh, you know, to local link to the bus services. Mm. It's why, for instance, we've seen the particularly the reduction for young people and students the cost uh, to uh, you know, uh, public transport fares okay. by 50%. The incentives are being put in place. There's a lot uh, there. Let Darren O'Rourke come back, if you wouldn't mind, issue. please. Uh, and maybe on that most contentious issue of cutting the national herd, first of all, Darren O'Rourke, is it necessary? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think, um, like any of this, it, it, it will unfold over time. You know, there, there are emerging technologies in every sector, and some of them will work and some of them won't work. Mm. I think what's really important in relation to agriculture, and I think Malcolm will agree in relation to this, it's about the sustainability and viability of agriculture in Ireland. So what does that model look like in Ireland? Um, we're a heavy dependency at the minute in relation to the dairy sector, because the dairy sector is the sector that works for farmers. And we need to make other sectors to work for farmers. We need the forestry sector. We need, we need our organics to work for farmers. We need uh, farmers to move into to energy generation. If that works for farmers, they will move to that. And, and the question of what happens to the national herd, the nat- mm. the national herd if such a thing exists, will, will, uh, will, will answer itself. The question for me isn't about the national herd, it's about the viability and sustainability of family farms in Ireland. And we, and we, we haven't adequately addressed that, and it does need, to be, does need to be addressed. The same goes in relation to, to transport, and as I said before, mm. the energy transition, the, 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 the delivery of offshore wind, onshore wind, mm. solar, solar power. Years down the line. Uh, no, as but, is the case with electric cars but, let's, let's talk, but, but, talk about but, that quote that's now infamous from uh, Antonio Guterres uh, that we're on uh, the highway to climate hell we have to take our foot off the accelerator uh, the problem is that if you were to drive from this studio to Ackle today you wouldn't get there without going off route uh, to find a charger yeah, and, and charging infrastructure is, is obviously a part of it. And, and, and I think, and that's back to my point in terms of, you know, the, the need for pace here and, uh, and the government's, what I would say, is an incremental backloaded approach. And we see that because it's, mm-hmm. you know, the carbon tax, and we'll argue in, in relation to it, but what, what we, I'm sure we'll all agree is that the carbon tax on its own will not deliver the type of change that we need to, to deliver, that it will require additional funding from elsewhere. Sinn Féin have put forward a suite of proposals in terms of um, you know taxes on, on pensions and uh, solidarity taxes the range outlined in our, mm. in our alternative budget as a as a proposal to to raise climate finance in another way but you do need a systematic and systemic change and and I have to say I have to say and, and a big part of cop 27 is on that issue of, of climate finance. I believe somewhere along the line, something is going to have to give here, um, you know, at an Irish level, but more at an international level, a European level, whether it's in terms of green bonds or, you know, the type of approach that we took in relation to the, 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 uh, uh, the pandemic, where the, essentially the financial rules were rewritten to uh, deliver a clear objective in a really short time frame. I, you know, mm. uh, something is going to have to give because this incremental approach, not just in Ireland but internationally, is clearly not working. Yeah, well, uh, there isn't the money internationally, not from governments. Uh, according to Al Gore, the private sector is going to have to cough up trillions uh, because Al Gore says governments will give billions to help solving some of the uh, immediate challenges. Uh, just to conclude, Malcolm Byrne, would the Taoiseach not ha- have served all of us uh, and indeed the people of the world better if he had gone to COP27 and said, look, we really want to do this, uh, but it's an insurmountable challenge in the time frame that we're uh, uh, expected to do it in. We are not going to get there, if he was to be honest, in other words. Well, well, I, I think it's going to be very difficult. But if we don't, and, and, and this comes back to the point, uh, Michael, I mean, the, the cost of us not taking action, um, you know, it, it's unimaginable. I mean, you'll recall and your listeners will recall looking at the scenes of unbelievable drought and heat waves across Europe where people were dying um, in the, the heat this summer, 
We know about the number of adverse weather events that we've had on Ireland. Farmers can see it. I mean, you know, farmers are the, the frontline workers in the battle in climate change. They mm. can see what is happening. And I, do, I agree with Darren, you know, that what farmers are interested in is sustainability, not just environmental sustainability, but the sustainability of the farms. And that's why, you know, the grants and the supports are there to allow for that transition. We will probably disagree. I, I mean, I, I would disagree with Darren around the idea of, you know, tax on pensions to be able to fund this. I mm. think we've got to look at what are called nudge taxes, so that we encourage people uh, to, you know, do things in a more environmentally friendly way. People will recall, you know, when we introduced the levy on plastic bags, people stopped using plastic bags. So we've got to use taxation in that way to get people to do things. I think as well, Michael, a lot of this is going to be driven by, uh, and I've been very inspired by, you know, when you talk to lots of young people, and you will have mm, heard them, mm, mm. you know, in, in, in the Northeast as well, mm. coming out and talking about, you know, the future of their planet. I know, the yeah, but they don't have to pay for it, and that's that's the point we were making yesterday. Tell them that they'd have to go yeah, give well, up their phones and they might have a different opinion, you know. Yeah, well, it, and that's that's the brass tax of it when it comes back to your daily life and the impact that it has on you. Uh, and maybe I could conclude with you, Darren O'Rourke, on that same question of honesty, uh, because uh, there, I think it is a legitimate question about how honest the Taoiseach was, but not just the Taoiseach, all of uh, the fine speakers and all of the blah, blah, blah that we've been hearing. There are huge challenges. Uh, would it not be better to say uh, we may not be able to meet them, so what do we do and get around a table and come up with solutions rather than all of these fine platitudes? Well, look, and I think there, you know, there are criticisms of of COP um, every year, and, and uh, um, but but I, I think it is a, a forum, an important forum to you know to, to give people an opportunity, but also to to hold people to account. I think it's notable those parties that that aren't at COP, and and you know that kind of serves to to highlight that you know there's a lot of work to be done in in relation to this. But really, you know, it's clear what we need to do, and we actually have in very many respects we have the tools and resources to deliver on it what you're missing is the political will and coordination to make it happen you've got huge vested interests in the fossil fuel industry you have you know a, a, a long standing tradition of operating economic models in a certain way um, and it's it's very very clear that they're not fit for purpose at this time. So okay. I think, the, you know, it, it does require uh, a, a new way of thinking and mm. it will require, uh, politics will, will ultimately have to uh, resolve this. Mm. And some politicians might need to stand up and say, well, maybe we can't save the world. Uh, should, should we not sit down uh, uh, and think about that rather than saying uh, everybody else needs to save the world uh, and we're doing our best which seems to be the approach that has been taken by uh, the majority of leaders uh, whether they're right or wrong time will tell and our children and their children will feel the brunt of it but thank you indeed both of you for joining us on the programme this morning Sinn Féin spokesperson on climate Darren O'Rourke who's a TD for me the East and Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, 12% of us have net wealth of €1 million or more, the equivalent of 223,000 households in this country. That's according to the Central Bank. Let's speak to Father Sean Healy, Director with Social Justice Ireland. A very good morning to you, Sean. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. We often talk about it being a a very wealthy country. Are, Are you surprised at just how rich we are? 
Not really. I mean, it's been heading in that direction for a while. It's just that they weren't counting it very well. And now suddenly they've developed this, uh, together with central banks across all the euro countries, they've developed this capacity now for tracking uh, the distribution of wealth. And this is a new development, if you like. They're tracking it on a quarterly basis because they have these new distributional wealth accounts. And they, they provide them with sort of a, a, a new opportunity, if you like, to track what's going on in wealth. So uh, I, I, that's the value of being able to do this on a regular basis. We get a much clearer picture. The one thing I suppose that might surprise me a mm. little bit was just the sh- sheer scale of the impact, you know, like that we're over a trillion you know that um, that's it's one one thousand and seven billion euro uh, in total household wealth. <laughs> You're and melting that's, that's my a huge head. Number. <laughs> How much? Uh, sorry, <laughs> it's a bit early in the morning to try and keep up with that. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's probably basically the, the the other way of looking at it. Or the, the other thing that's striking is if you go back to 2013, which is where the data starts mm. and where they start looking at it. Um, over those years, no, that, remember that was Ireland was just coming out of its bailout and all that in a very yeah. bad space. But the actual level of household wealth in Ireland has is up is more than doubled in those years. It's up 117 percent actually. Yes. Um, but of course, the problem is that from an Irish point of view or from a fairness point of view, 54 percent of all of that uh, is now in the hands of the top 10 percent, with most of it actually in the hands of the top 5 percent. Mm of the population. So that's 5% of households that, that are there. So there are issues there, if you like. But what we do see is that there's a growth in the wealth and that uh, from a situation where we would have talked about this before and I would have been saying, mm. well, you know, there isn't a huge amount of money to be gained from taxing wealth in Ireland because wealth was relatively low. Uh, it's clear enough now that there is a growth in this and there is capacity for taxing wealth, but maybe not taxing it directly. There's there's different ways of going at that. Right. Um, in 2013, eight years ago, 5% of us were worth over a, a million. That's 87,000 right. households compared to the 12% or the 223,000 households. Is that just down to the cost of living? I mean, a million isn't worth what a million used to be worth in the same way 20 euro isn't the, hasn't got the same buying power that it had eight years ago. You'd need 50 euro now. Over half of it is due to the increased cost of housing. Uh, the value of the housing because it, it, people, a lot of these people that are in that 12% today haven't done anything. Uh, they've simply sat in their houses uh, and the value of the house has risen. Now, they still have to have a fairly exceptional house that's worth a million. Uh, I mean, the average housing, uh, cost of a housing house, I think, is three, three, somewhere in the 350,000 area, area, that kind of number. Um now that's averages again, but uh, the if you go and look and look and look at the at, at it in more detail, what you find in con- in the context of the twelve percent is that that two hundred and thirty twenty three thousand uh, households actually uh, have seen over half of their growth in 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 uh, in their income or not, mm. not their income their wealth over the period has basically been driven through uh, 
housing. But the other side of it is that mm. the, a little bit less than half has actually uh, been generated by business and investments mm. and various other ways of making money. But when you talk about property, that assumes that you own the property. Uh, I right. mean, you don't own the property if you've a mortgage on that. Uh, and that uh, statistic that uh, the central bank has given takes that into account. It, it takes away what you owe from what right. you have. So it gives you the net value. Yeah. In other mm. words, like the house is actually worth this, but you owe that much to pay for it still. So you, you, it has to be balanced out. So that's the story there. And I think that that's the kind of, um, um, uh, what would you like, another another space that has to be looked after in that, in, in that context when you're looking at where these numbers are coming from. But the, the, the bottom line in it is that uh, the value of housing has gone up dramatically. Uh, I'm not sure that Ireland is hugely better off because of that. Uh, much of the driving of the of the value of housing is driven by the fact that the supply is too low. If we had a sufficient supply of housing, uh, the value of housing, uh, I think, wouldn't be as high as it is, and consequently we'd have fewer millionaires. Um, the, the interesting thing in that context is that an awful lot of people uh, can't do anything about the fact that they're, they're being millionaires or maybe close to being millionaires, because they can't very well go and sell their house, because if they do, they'll have to buy some in its place or put something in its place obviously to live in so uh, they you know it's not that kind of thing that they have money and they can draw it down out of a bank account or something of that nature mm. it's a bit different but the bottom, bottom line is at the end of the day is of course that it is their property it, and they, they are the ones who benefit from it they're the ones who own it they're the ones who are wealthy and they're the ones who are among the millionaires Okay but uh, those uh, at uh, the bottom those uh, who have uh, least money have less debt at the same time we're uh, doing better in terms of paying off our debts Yeah I, I think I'd be very interested to see how, what actually happens with this in the long run because I get the feeling that um, a lot of the reduction in debt happened in the last couple of years uh, during COVID time. And I think people were getting very concerned about what might happen post-COVID. And they were uh, paying down debt in their, paying down their mortgages, in effect. Mm. And they were being very careful about that. Um, and that they realized, like, that, for example, their jobs are very vulnerable. And there was, like, the whole economy was vulnerable. Uh, and uh, I think people were taking great care. Um, whether that lasts now that, um, and it may well do, because the, the rising cost of living has brought a different kind of focus in mm. in there but th- that different kind of focus may have the same impact it may try uh, force people uh, or, or encourage people to pay off their debt uh, particularly the mortgage the, the other side of that though is you've got to recognize that there's eight plus thousand uh, mortgages uh, out there that are in arrears for with nothing paid over the last 10 years mm. and they, like we've been urging government to take action on that basically to buy the balance of the of the of the mortgage and to leave the people who are there to leave them that the house become the property of the government in effect mm. which has become becomes a so, part of the social housing stock yeah, but, but that they leave people there uh, to actually not 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 to evict them but get them to pay why not? A well, if, they, if they haven't paid anything for 10 years yep uh, i mean wh- why not evict them because I think the the, the problem is if they you take them, you still you still have yeah, to. Yeah, but they've taken the some they, kind they, of accommodation. They've taken the rest of us as mugs, haven't they? We're yeah, paying absolutely. like it's not it's not that they're well they aren't paying their mortgage, but it's not that the mortgage isn't being paid. We're all paying it. But but I think what we're saying in that context is that the government buy these houses. Mm. That means they become 
social housing, mm. I'd leave the people in them, but I'd make them pay their proper, uh, in the same way yeah, that people, uh, all, all, all tenants in social housing mm. have to pay the proper rent. And then some, perhaps, uh, because the 10 years that they were laughing at us. That's true. But remember, the house is going to the government the people, the, 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 they get no value for, mm. for what they've done uh, previously or what they've done uh, up to now in terms of paying the mortgage. If they've left it for over 10 years that they've done nothing about it, mm. they may have been taking us for mugs, but in the end, was they lost out because well, they I, I, I don't know. House completely. I think I'd have a look at their bank accounts. Uh, and <laughs> well, well, I mean, that, that would have to be done, like, yeah, absolutely, because yeah, you wouldn't yeah, have to have a yeah. situ- you couldn't allow a situation where people had good money in the mm. bank and uh, plenty of money in the bank yeah. and not paying their mortgage and right. then having uh, 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 the option of a social house. Like I, I, mean, I know some people are in dire straits and some people can't pay and all of this sort of stuff but there's definitely what you would call spongers. It's a horrible term and people who are laughing at us uh, and are laughing all the way to the bank uh, and are wisecracks uh, who think that uh, they can do whatever they want to and unless uh, something is done to change that they'll continue to do it. I, I think that uh, one of the things I remember uh, an old uh, colleague of mine he's long since dead now but he used to uh, he used to say uh, um, that the sin in his experience he was a good economist mm. and in his experience uh, in economics sin was equally distributed across the whole social spectrum and the, the point about that is that what he was really saying was like you'll get chancers at every level mm. people who are ripping off the system people who are ripping off other people uh, now the issue of course is policy shouldn't be driven by them mm. although they shouldn't be allowed to exploit people or exploit policy okay. that's the threshold so we have to protect in that context. All right, Sean, I have to leave there. Thanks, as always, though, for joining us. More That's than glad, as always, to be here. Thank Thanks you, indeed. Father Sean Healy, Director of Social Justice Ireland. Now, if you'd like to comment on the programme today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658 or email michael at lmfm.ie. Jim Navin says, Michael, the price of a 15 kilo bag of wood pellets is now 10 euro. Why isn't there more farmers growing willow? And instead of importing pellets, we'd have enough to supply the Irish market. The war is a great excuse for all of these price hikes and greed. Uh, it play, greed plays a big part in it as well, says Jim. John Navin says, should our politicians take part in reality shows? Why not? The whole setup with the Sharon the Doll is like a boring reality show. Only we can vote them off the show. Uh, it's a pity we can't vote them off the show. They keep returning for a sequel, says John. Uh, thank you indeed uh, for that. Somebody else in touch with us on WhatsApp saying, electrifying everything we can't pay the electricity bills as they are or how are we supposed to be able to pay double or triple what we're already being asked for thank you indeed for your message if you have been in touch so far today Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to uh, a local issue that uh, will impact a, a lot of people listening to us uh, this morning that was raised in the Dáil yesterday. I would, I would like to raise this with the Minister, the issue of hospitals overcrowding this winter, specifically in relation to County Loud. Although the winter plan 22-23 makes significant promises in terms of additional capacity and improved pathways of care, currently emergency departments have become warehouses for admitting patients who are waiting to be moved to a hospital ward. Because they remain in emergency departments, they are completely invalidated the emergency department capacity to act as an emergency department. Our acute bed capacity is 2.8 per 1,000 after population, whereas the OECD average is 4.3. If nothing is done about this, along with the 40,000 plus waiting time breaches, it is the complete opposite of what was promised in our national service plan. 
I want the Minister and the government to confirm that they will listen to the practical solutions and measures put forward by the Emergency Department, the Task Force, and implement solutions immediately in order to prevent this entirely predictable soldier. Right, that's uh, Peter Fitzpatrick, local independent TD, raising that issue with the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, yesterday. Thanks very much, Deputy. And uh, as it happens, I was in Our Lady of Lord Strada uh, just last week. I met with the senior clinical team, including the Emergency Department, uh, nursing staff, uh, and the consultant staff. As you'll be aware, so can I fully agree that the resources uh, that are needed have not been in place, they haven't been in place for a long time. The Deputy will be aware that I've sanctioned a doubling, for example, in Drogheda of the emergency medicine consultants. We've now launched phase two of the safe staffing framework, which will increase uh, the emergency medicine uh, nursing healthcare assistant roles. We're also talking to the hospital about additional capacity in the hospital and, and arguably more importantly, more and more step-down facilities so that patients when they're ready to be discharged, can be brought to an appropriate clinical setting, meaning that there's more capacity in the hospital and then for emergency medicine as well. Right, that's the Minister for Health, Stephen Tunley, responding uh, to Peter Fitzpatrick yesterday. Now, uh, a call to us, or it's a WhatsApp message, a text actually, I beg your pardon, uh, from Tricia saying, Michael, I think it's time you started questioning Sinn Féin reps in detail uh, about their magic tree funding sources. For example, Tricia says, uh, Darren Rourke said uh, this morning that Sinn Féin would fund climate change measures by taxing pensions and a solidarity tax. What exactly does this mean? Is my state pension or my pension, my private pension from work uh, going to be taxed more? What is this solidarity tax? How much will we have to pay? Time for in-depth questioning of Sinn Féin funding proposals. Uh, Thank you indeed, Tricia, uh, for your text uh, to the programme uh, this morning. Uh, And indeed, speaking of climate change, there's been a a lot of interesting speakers and a lot of interesting statements coming from COP27, uh, and I'm sure you've heard a a lot of them. Uh, One of uh, the very interesting contributions, I I thought, yesterday came from from uh, the president of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky. The Russian war brought an acute food crisis to the world, which hit worse those countries suffering from the existing manifestations of climate change, catastrophic droughts, large-scale floods. The Russian war destroyed 5 million acres of forests in Ukraine in less than six months. Not every country in the world has such an area of forest that we are burned in Ukraine by Russian shelling. We have to check every day the situation at the Parisian nuclear power plant, the largest in Europe. If there is no radiation leaks, the Russian army has turned this nuclear power plant de facto into a military training ground. They are constantly playing with connecting and disconnecting their plant and nuclear reactors from their power grid. There is a direct risk of a radiation disaster. Who will care, for example, about the amount of the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere if part of Europe or the Middle East and possibly Northern Africa, God forbid, are covered by a radiation cloud after an accident in Zaporizhia. Last year, we couldn't even imagine that kind of question. But this year, Russia has posed dozens of such questions to the world. Ladies and gentlemen, world needs honesty. 
We must tell those who do not take the climate agenda seriously that they are making a catastrophic mistake. We must stop those who, with their insane and illegal war, are destroying the world's ability to work united for a common goal. Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Uh, We may be on the highway to climate hell, uh, but what does it matter if the Russians blow us all to kingdom come uh, with an attack uh, on that uh, nuclear plant in Sabarisha? Holy God, uh, it goes from bad to worse, doesn't it? Uh, COP27, as I say, uh, saw a lot of interesting co- co- contributors uh, and indeed uh, Pope Francis was represented. On behalf uh, of Pope Francis, uh, I extend a cordial greeting to all of you and wish to assure you of his closeness, support and... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Encouragement. As you work diligently towards a fruitful outcome of this conference, a few days ago, in Bahrain, he emphasized the hope that COP27 will be a step forward for concrete and far-sighted choices undertaken with the younger generation in mind before it is too late and their future is compromised. This is Cardinal Pietro Parolin, the Secretary of State of the Holy See and the Vatican City, speaking on behalf of Pope Francis. The Vatican City State is committed to reducing net emissions to zero before 2050 through intensifying its efforts to improve its environmental management efforts that have already been in place for a number of years. The Vatican also committing uh, to reducing emissions and Cardinal Parolin explained why. We have a moral duty to act concretely 
in order to prevent and respond to the always more frequent and severe humanitarian impacts caused by the climate change. And it's not just climate change uh, that poses a, a challenge. And on behalf of Pope Francis, he says... We all must face all of uh, these challenges in the world. We must admit that global events like COVID-19 and the increasing number of conflicts all over the world with their serious ethical, social and economic consequences risk undermining global security, exacerbating food insecurity, jeopardizing uh, multilateralism, and even overshadowing our efforts here in Sharm el-Sheikh. We cannot allow for this to happen. So climate not the only challenge, but undoubtedly the biggest challenge. Climate change will not wait for us. Our world is now far too interdependent and cannot permit itself to be structured into unsustainable isolated blocks of countries. This is a time for international and intergenerational solidarity. We need to be responsible, courageous and forward-looking, not just for ourselves, but for our children. Cardinal Pietro Parolin delivering this message on behalf of Pope Francis. It's not the first time, by the way, that the Pope has delivered a message to one of these COP meetings. Last year at COP26 in Glasgow, Pope Francis sent a message in which he stressed that the wounds inflicted on our human family by the COVID-19 pandemic and the phenomenon of climate change are comparable to those resulting from a global conflict. Now, this message takes on even more significance. Our political will should be guided by the awareness that either we win together or we lose together. Win together or lose together. That's the message from Pope Francis delivered by Cardinal Pietro Parolin. Uh, and how are we doing now? Well, not so good. Uh, let's hear a little bit about some of the problems existing in the world. We continue to use the thin blue shell of atmosphere surrounding our planet as an open sewer. Today, as every day, we are spewing 162 million tonnes of man-made, heat-trapping, global warming pollution into the sky. It adds up and accumulates and lingers there. On average, each molecule lingers 100 years, and the accumulated amount now traps as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every day on our planet. That's why we're seeing these disasters. And the pattern is very clear. It's getting steadily worse. We have a credibility problem, all of us. We're talking and we're starting to act, but we're not doing enough. It is a choice to continue this pattern of destructive behavior. This is uh, the former American Vice President Al Gore. And as you heard him say there, this is a a choice. It's bad and it's getting worse because that's what we're choosing to do. The curses that we are continuing to choose are ever more apparent. We saw them on that 
amazingly powerful film. One third of Pakistan underwater, 1,700 people killed. A heat wave in China that lasted 70 days with the heat above 40 degrees, 104 Fahrenheit over a vast area of China. Stronger storms, bigger downpours, rain bombs, worse floods. Another million displaced in Nigeria two weeks ago. Another million in Chad a few days after that. The Nile Delta being salinated just as Hannibal's fields were salted. We are causing the salting of the greatest agricultural area in Egypt, as well as in the Mekong Delta and elsewhere. Droughts are drying up the mighty Mississippi River in my country. The Tigris and the Euphrates in the cradle of civilization. The Po River in Italy, the Loire in, in France, the Rhine in Germany. All over the world, the greatest reservoirs in North America, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, are reaching what is called Deadpool status. Starvation and famine in the Horn of Africa. Devastation in Madagascar. And the areas of our world that are presently considered by doctors uninhabitable because of the combination of heat and humidity are relatively small today, but they are due to expand to the point where experts are predicting as many as one billion climate migrants crossing international borders in the balance of this century. Think of the millions that are crossing borders now and the xenophobia and authoritarian populism that is caused by a large surge of refugees. And then imagine, if you will, what a billion climate refugees would do. It would end the possibilities of self-governance. We have to act. All right. <laughs> Ignore him at your peril, I think. Uh, that's uh, the former U.S. Vice President Al Gore. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Right, well, as we discussed yesterday, it's nearly three years uh, since uh, the murder of Keen Mulready Woods in Drogheda. The backlash to that, the government response to that backlash, the Gearan report, the 72 recommendations, and indeed the implementation board and the implementation of uh, those recommendations and the progress report on implementing those recommendations which was published this week as we mentioned yesterday 65 times in this report it says that recommendations are ongoing one of those recommendations is that Loud County Council will engage as a matter of urgency with residents of Moneymore and Castle Manor and any other stakeholders as appropriate with a view to closing off the offending gap and taking other measures arising or else finding a mutually acceptable and reasonable resolution to this issue ongoing. Now one of those residents was listening to us yesterday and Glenda sent us in a video of the route that she takes with her children each morning getting them to school. Now, I I can't show you the video, but I I can play the video for you. And what you're about to hear is the sound of walking in mud. Take a listen to this. Those squelches. Yeah, she's... Oh, Glendy, your shoes. (laughs) 
Her good shoes. I don't know why you wore those shoes, Landy. You should have worn wellies. It's a mud bath. Would remind you of Woodstock. You remember the big festival and everybody in the mud? Nowhere to even step on. Nowhere to step on, Glenda. Thank you, uh, indeed, uh, for sending that in to us. Uh, that was just one of uh, the issues uh, that we talked about uh, on the programme yesterday because uh, this report, uh, as you know, from Vivian Guerin made all of these recommendations in the hope of young people taking a, a different path in Drogheda and the surrounding regions uh, so that they wouldn't get involved in drugs, antisocial behaviour, the gangs or the criminality that goes with it. And as I said, uh, there's 65 recommendations, three years on since that brutal murder, that are ongoing. Uh, is there a sense of urgency? There's a question of funding as well. And we had a lot of uh, discussion about the level of funding that has come to this region on the programme yesterday. But as you heard yesterday, Finnegal TD, Fergus O'Dowd, is very satisfied with the progress. But it's never quick enough. It'll never be enough. It, it'll never be enough. But has huge progress been made? It has. And I say Drogheda is in a much better place. And I have great respect for everybody with the fantastic work they're doing. We've, we've hugely changed town, Michael, and it's, it's getting better for everybody. And I know there are lots of problems, but I, I, just, really, I just really think that um, it would be helpful for other people to hear the views of, of the Red Door, mm. to hear the views okay. of Grania Barrel and the mm. Implementation Board. Okay, and uh, the Red Door mentioned there, it was recommended they get €150,000 a year each year in additional funding. Over the last three years, they've had €230,000. Uh, let's get a different perspective on all of this. Rory O'Muraku of Sinn Féin is on the line and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Uh, are you satisfied with the pace of progress? Here, across the board, we're not here happy with the pace of progress. And, and here, do I welcome the fact that we have this implementation board? Do I welcome the fact, and can I agree that there are people doing good work in relation to it? Most certainly. And um, now, it's it's almost the guy asking directions. And Kerry, would I start from here? I wouldn't start from here if I was you. There's an element to that. Look, we know what happened in Drogheda. What happened in Drogheda is you had a number of drug gangs that literally completely got out of their box, bit off far more than they can chew. That's not to take away from the huge impact and detrimental impact that were done to plenty of normal people's lives. Houses were attacked, houses were burnt, and we know you already spoke about a particularly dreadful um, murder, right? One one of three, if not five, if not more. Yes. Yeah, and what happened is, and we all know a number of attempted uh, killings, and it could have been far, far worse uh, in in a number of sets of circumstances and probably stuff that we can't actually get into at Mm. this point in time. And a huge amount of work done in the sense by the guards in shutting these down, uh, shutting some of these gangs down. Now, we all accept the world we live in. You shut one down, somebody else comes into the fray. Sometimes when you replace one sizable street dealer, Mm. he's been replaced by six here on, on some level yeah. uh, six smaller guys you know to a degree uh, and people will take drugs you don't want them to die of hepatitis or HIV uh, there was to be a needle exchange programme 50,000 has been allocated to it three years on none of the 50,000 has been spent none of the needles have been uh, offered to people 
yeah, look, Imelda Munster has consistently said it's all well and good. We can have all these reports. It's when we actually see the action, we see the money's drawn down and we see that the actually actions are followed through on. And when myself and herself uh, will be part of, obviously, um, the Oireachtas meeting again with the Drogheda Implementation Board, we'll be asking, where are the hold-ups? What are the difficulties? Yeah, there was Where's the big ideas? Where, where are, I mean, they got 400,000 euro, uh, 150,000 in 2021, 250,000 in 2022. This is to the implementation board. They've set up a, a website uh, with that 400,000. I'm sure they've done other things. But where is the big idea? It seems to me that the big idea is hashtag Drogheda looking good. Uh, the result of that is a, a lot of old people putting up photographs of Drogheda uh, and photographs that will be familiar to everybody and they think, oh, that's lovely, oh, good old Drogheda and all this stuff, does nothing to divert children uh, away from drugs, antisocial behaviour, criminality or the gangs. Drogheda looking good, is that the solution to those sort of problems? No, and the fact is we, we need these sort of, whatever solutions we're talking about need to be implemented across here in Ireland, we know there's not a single place that isn't being impacted by drugs. But big urban settings like Drogheda and Dundalk are absolutely rife with huge issues that are all related to drug gangs. You have a huge amount of children. Um, now, if you are born in particular postcodes, you will be surrounded by a huge amount of this and there is a greater chance of you falling into it. It can happen to mm. any kid in that sense. But there are also people who are more susceptible where you may have a chaotic family setting and all the rest of it. And unless we're going to do the real piece of work, which is around very early interventions in the community across the board yeah. and then in relation to these families, and that means long before, and there's an awful lot of good work is done in relation to diversion projects and everything, but an awful lot of the people, be they guards or be they um, those that work in the community voluntary sector, will tell you in an awful mm. lot of cases you're already coming at the point when it's too late. Now, I'm not giving out about the Drawhead Implementation Board. I think the lack of imagination is long before that. There's an element that they're going to be constrained by the bureaucracy of dealing with funding ah. structures and all the rest of it. But and money. We, okay, well, now, hold yeah, on. Uh, I mean, uh, I, mean uh, I hope somebody from the Implementation Board, because they, they have never put their head above water. Uh, but if they, decide, if they decide to put their head above water, uh, maybe they'd care to tell us if there's a big idea better than Drogheda looking good, which has a, a load of old farts putting up photographs on the internet, on social media saying, aren't we great? We're promoting the town. Doing nothing for children. Now, uh, talk about the money, because when you talk about the money that has come to this area, outside of money that has gone to the guards or the HSE or existing authorities, uh, there was to be an awful lot of money, uh, and some funding has been made available as we heard there 230,000 to the Red Door uh, there's been money going to Boyne and Cable uh, they bought lots of buses uh, and there's one off payment uh, which seemed ridiculous to fasten of 9,000 euro uh, given the work that they do but there was 20 million in dormant funds no, making the same mistake I made yesterday there was 80 million in dormant funds in 2020 uh, there was 10 million in dormant funds in 2021 so over two years there was 18 million available and it seems if you take out all of that money going through the guards and the HSE and all of that uh, and indeed the money that went to the impl- implementation board 230,000 went to Drada yeah. or, or am I mistaken am I mistaken oh, no. No, no, and, and what always happens in these cases... Out of 80 ever, million, 18 million, 230,000 went to Drogheda. 
And what you will also get is you'll get the reports and you will get all the positives. And we know the positives that have happened, whether it's the funding in relation to the LME TV, all good stuff in relation to apprentice training, yeah. all absolutely beneficial. Enterprise really, Ireland, yeah, uh, yeah. tourism. I mean, all of, why are all those things in that report? Uh, that's what always happens. Re- rehashed so announce- rehashed announcements about resources going to three schools in Drogheda. Rehashed, those resources were in Drogheda before Vivian Gear and even looked at Drogheda. And what we're missing across the board, and here this is way beyond Drogheda, is the fact that we are not getting to these kids on the periphery, that we're not dealing with the realities of the drug scourge that's out there. And look, we are at this stage here, many of us in this particular, in in the doll, I'll be going in myself later to talk on here a number of issues. And I'm absolutely fed up of just talking about how the war on drugs is absolutely lost, that we are completely fooling ourselves that we are continuing with the same failed strategies and our only hope is this Citizens' Assembly, mm. which has been put off and put off, but yeah. it's meant to happen mm. in early next year. Listen, there can be wait, an wait, element wait. of confidence and an element of bravery from citizens, which has happened on other issues yeah. in relation to the drug issue. And Listen, when you, would, would you do me a favour when you're in there, would you ask how much um, the uh, implementation board spent on their website? Uh, Fergus O'Dowd uh, was talking about it yesterday. I hadn't heard of it before um, and I expected it uh, to be uh, something that was reaching out to people and very interactive and all that. I can't say I made very much of it. Uh, all I could really see on it uh, was uh, monthly reports uh, which kind of uh, repeated themselves over and over and was pushing this uh, thing for old people to put photographs on the internet uh, totally lost on young people. Uh, and I, I thought that the whole focus was to be on young people at uh, preschool, primary school, secondary school, uh, before, they were, before they were lost to the system. Not old farts and suits. Yeah, and beyond that, what we're meant, what it's meant to be, and what we had hoped for, and what we still hope for, is that we're talking about some sort of coordination body that allows for the multi-agency response that is lacking, and that's accepting that all these services we talk about, whether we talk about the HSE, the local authority, or the guards at time, will not have the resources to deal with the specific issues to deal with. You've already mentioned mm. in relation to the addiction services, and here, let's one see when we talk about the work that the Red Door does, the yeah. family addiction support networks, and others do. This is keeping the engine going with bailing twine. We know the lack of funding in relation to drugs task force projects across the board. And we know that that has not been improved. And we are dealing with Christy Mangan has spoken spoke before, obviously, mm. when he was uh, the chief superintendent mm. about a generation lost to cocaine. We now have a yeah. chief superintendent, and here I get there's a huge amount of work being done. And we, he's responsible for two divisions. And listen, responsible for Louth and also for Calvin Monaghan, which but, but, eventually will become one. But listen, we, we know the feud has died down because these croak, coke crazed dealers have killed themselves and put themselves in prison, or they've been caught, or, or whatever it is, or they've gone on the run or whatever the case may be but the, 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 drugs. The, the drugs still remain, the problem still remains and if uh, it, it raises its head again, I mean will they give it awards uh, under this Drogheda looking good if people send in photographs of petrol bombs going through their windows? Look, we, we've already had in, in over the last period and, and I know I've dealt with it particularly in the dock of houses of cars and every you know, attacked mm, on the mm. basis drug debt intimidation is alive and well. Like some of these dealers, some of those that involve themselves in intimidation are a bit cleverer than some of the people involved in Drogheda and they, they, they don't just bring it above the paraffin to the degree that they did and that the state, it was put up to the state and the state acted. But the fact is, 
you get talk to anyone in addiction mm. service and you will never get somebody who's coming into those services and say, I cannot yeah. get cocaine, the price is through the roof, no matter what's cost, what's, yeah. who's put out a commission, because the fact is, the infrastructure is replaced absolutely yeah. overnight. But now, you need to deal with dangerous criminals because it's the violence sometimes mm. can be a greater difficulty, obviously, than the actual drug. But deal. close off that gap. Close off that gap. Three years later, Glenda's walking, ruining her shoes. She should be in Welly. She's ruining her shoes, walking through the mud because they can't come up with a, an alternative to get children to school. Should have been the easiest uh, and most straightforward anyway. thing to do. I think it in itself uh, highlights the urgency uh, of uh, the issues in Drada and I wonder uh, what that uh, says about how urgent they actually are. I have to leave it there though and thank you indeed for joining no, us on the programme. Easy, easy wins need to be delivered on quickly and I know Joanna Byrne and I know Imelda Munster have been dealing with these issues constantly but we need to see solutions to them and the fact is the implementation board needs to be a facilitator of dealing with all the agencies and they need to call us in occasionally if there are difficulties mm. that's what we have all made the promises okay. all elected reps and, and that's just the all way right. yeah. we'll have a straight conversation when yeah. we meet them next alright thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning Sinn Féin TD for Lad the Next Meet Rory Marku. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. You promised 9,000 social homes this year. By the end of June, you had delivered only 1,765. You promised 4,100 affordable homes this year. You have delivered only 925 to date. This means government will miss its social and affordable housing targets for the third year in a row. Targets, by the way, that don't even come close to meeting the level of housing need in our society. You also refuse to introduce a ban on rent increases, rents that are crippling tenants, rents that are at record levels and continue to rise. And meanwhile, homelessness is at a historic high. Even with the ban on evictions, it is likely to rise. Child homelessness has increased by a staggering 51% since April 2021. So it beggars belief that any member of government could claim that your housing policies are working. Minister, do you accept that not alone are you missing your targets, but that in fact your entire approach to housing has failed? To make matters worse... We hear that government is €2 billion Euros behind in your annual housing spending and your capital spend. €2 billion, Euro, it's a lot of money and it adds to Mary Lou Macdonald's critique of the government's housing policy. Failure to plan, failure to deliver and, Minister, you, by your own acceptance and admissions, meeting what are at best low-level targets. Fail, fail, Thank fail. The Sinn Féin president was speaking in the Dáil yesterday and many of uh, the people who are at uh, the coal face of this are assisted by the Peter McVerry Trust. Yesterday it launched its annual report for 2021 and reported an increase of almost 30% on the number of people who they helped on the previous year. Let's speak now to Francis Doherty, who's uh, the Director of Housing Development and Communications with the Peter McVerry Trust. Good morning, Francis. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. You're talking about more than 10,000 people last year. Yeah, it's um, an incredible number of people to, to support, Michael, and, um, and thank you for having us on to talk about our work. Um I suppose 
for for the organisation, we're active pretty much right across the country now. We we work in 28 of the 31 local authorities. Um, we obviously have offices um, right across the country, including in in Drogheda for for the northeast. Um, and you know we've seen the the work of the organisation grow. We, we obviously provide uh, emergency shelter to, to people. We work with people sleeping rough. We're supporting children growing up in state care. Uh, we're providing addiction recovery services. So. Um, in in one way, it's about the organisation trying to to do as much as possible, which is responsible for sort of the, the increase in the numbers we're working with. But obviously, we we have seen uh, the the number of people in homelessness um, sort of increase. And I mm. suppose what we what we see in twenty twenty one is that there was a lot of people coming into homelessness, but thankfully we were we were still continuing to move people out um, at that. Uh, during the course of 2021, at a pace that was sort of greater, so the numbers were coming down. Obviously, this year we've seen a completely different picture, and you know, <clears throat> uh, with with Tally, with the with the comments that uh, Mary Lynn McDonald has just made around the um, the record high in terms of the number of people impacted by homelessness in the hmm. state. I mean, the work you do is unbelievable. It's invaluable, and I think everybody is very appreciative for it uh, but we all wish you weren't there we all wish there wasn't a need for the Peter McBerry Trust or, or other organisations am I, I right in thinking uh, you provide hostel accommodation to about a thousand people every night yeah yeah it's um, I suppose when you think of where Peter uh, started off with a small um, <clears throat> building in the inner city and his work in Ballymun you know the numbers are um, on a almost different planet to, to, yeah. to those times 40 years ago Um yeah, the, the frontline staff, uh, my colleagues in the organisation do an incredible um, job supporting people, uh, trying to, to do their best in very challenging circumstances for, for the people in mm. emergency accommodation. Um, you know, it's, you know, no matter how good a service we uh, try to provide, it's not a good space or a nice place to be in, in sort of a transient place where you're never really sure you know, when you're going to get out of homelessness and how long you're going to be there um, and, you know, what impact it will have on you and your mental health and your general health uh, while you're in homelessness. So um, really, you know, it's um, great work that we do on the front line. As you said, it's over a thousand people, mostly single people, but obviously a lot of families as well, including, you know, we run family services in in Lies and Mead at the minute for, mm. with the, uh, the support of the local authorities. So it's um, it's incredibly challenging work. Um, you know, often we talk about sort of we're responding uh, constantly to a range of different emergencies and we often feel like um, uh, firefighting, you're, you're trying to contain and deal with, with things that as they break out and grow and, and, and on, your, on your spare time you're trying to make the changes to policy and practice that yeah. actually can alleviate the problems and stop the fires breaking out in the first place. So, um, but no, look, it's, you know, we, we would absolutely rather see the number of people that we're supporting decrease year on year because it would mean that the number of people in homelessness is reducing. Um, what we're trying to do at the minute, and it's sort of evidenced by the report launched yesterday, is that we're really mm-hmm. trying to get to a point where we provide more social housing okay. um, um, to people than we do emergency mm-hmm. beds. So if you look at places like Finland's where they've actually reduced the number of homeless people, what they've done is flipped a lot of the hostels into social housing apartments. So mm-hmm. when we launched the report yesterday, we'd actually... Did it on a site in Dublin where we, we've taken a, a former privately owned and run hostel 
for for single men, um, and we've converted that into um, nineteen apartments, oh, uh, permanent housing. So. Mm. Absolutely, we yeah, Peter has always yeah, been very clear. Yeah, we want, yeah. we want to go out of business. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Well, uh, so the way to do that is to make permanent housing available to people. Uh, and talk to me about this figure of two billion, uh, because it, it, it's very hard to argue with the government if they're going to spend four billion a, a year uh, on housing. Uh, how does it make you feel, though, um, to know that two billion has gone unspent so far this year? Yeah, like I suppose, like I I carry the the housing development brief and the trust, and like so I know the projects that we're trying to bring over the line. We see the challenges day in day out, where you can lose a period of weeks or you can lose a period of months that's really beyond your control. So money that we would have told um, the local authority we would have been spending on a on a construction project this year might be only start to spend it in quarter one of of next year and. You know, we're we're all really trying to to deliver as much as we can, as quickly as we can. And there are things that we can improve within the system. Sometimes you get frustrated how long it takes to get approvals. You can get um, odd questions mm. or queries back when you're putting in your funding mm. applications, and you and you sort of often wonder, you know, are, are the people maybe sitting at a desk somewhere really understanding the urgency with which uh, we need the the cases to be. Are you, wor- are you worried about what will happen before the end of the year, though? Because uh, if the government has only spent half of the money allocated and it has two billion left, uh, it won't want to have to answer questions uh, about that at the end of the year. And I think uh, there would be some fear that they go out and compete with first time buyers, for example, and buy uh, private housing rather than building new housing. Well, I suppose that there is always that concern, like the um, for us as an organisation and and. and very much so for the local authorities and the housing agency as well. We're all we're 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 trying to avoid any competition with first time buyers and indeed owner occupiers. Um, we would normally focus on long term vacant or derelict properties. So eighty five percent of all the housing we would deliver would come from some type of renewal of uh, derelict properties or a brownfield infill site in a in a town or city centre. So we we try and steer away from that. I, I completely understand that the there's a big push now to make sure as much money um, that can be spent before the end of year is spent or at least allocated against mm. new projects. We've been encouraged to to bring forward new opportunities, and we are like we we've we've um, a number of proposals in with um, with different local authorities at the minute, including in, in Loud to try get additional units in before Christmas because we know there's Very there's money there to be spent, mm. and those those projects aren't properties on the market, they're not opportunities that would go to first-time buyers or owner-occupiers given the nature of the buildings um, okay. that are involved and, and the vendors behind the project. So we were going to try uh, and get as yeah. much of that on sure. 2 billion mm. as we can for, mm. for homeless households and I'm sure there's other organisations out there that have been encouraged to do the same. Okay. Right? But, I, but we completely see like with the best will in the world, we have had a very challenging um, two and a half uh, to three years now with mm. with COVID yeah. and its impact and its legacy on, on yeah. delivery and then with supply chains. Undoubtedly, uh, it's remarkable work uh, that you do, Francis. Uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Francis Doherty is uh, the Director of Housing Development and Communications with the Peter McVerry Trust. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the cost of energy is being felt uh, by everybody. It's crippling many businesses and nursing homes are no different indeed. 16 nursing homes have closed uh, their doors so far this year. Some 40 have uh, closed over the course of uh, the past four years in a bid to support those nursing homes who are struggling with energy bills. The government has announced a scheme which would allow nursing homes, private nursing homes, that is, to claim more than €30,000 in bills and it will be backdated from July to September. But this €10 million government scheme is being described as wholly inadequate by Nursing Homes Ireland. Its CEO is Tyke Daly and he's on the line. A very good morning to you, Tyke. Thanks for joining us on the programme today. Why do you say it's complete ill fit for purpose. Well, the reality here is that I suppose in the first instance, the fact that government have sat down with us for a number of months now at this stage to develop a scheme means that they understand that there is uh, a significant increase in, in, in energy costs. But the reason it's completely ill fit for purpose is because there's a cap, a maximum of €5,250 per month, uh, which uh, goes nowhere near meeting the inflated energy costs that members are suffering at this point in time. So the, the intent is good uh, and the, the, the reasons behind the introduction of the scheme are good, but the actual cap in terms of the, the funding and indeed the 10 million, there was 110 million announced in the budget, whereas now we see that the, the te- of the 110 million, only 10 million is, is designated towards nursing home care. And as you said in your introduction, there has been significant number of closures. We're in a very difficult time and, uh, in the nursing home sector. And that's why it's so disappointing that this scheme will 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 be inadequate in terms of addressing what we're trying to the problem we're trying to fix here. Right, and the cost per resident per week, according to an independent analysis that you had commissioned, has increased by 194 euro per resident. Yeah, I mean, look, there's been significant cost increases over over the last while. I mean, clearly, COVID. Um, has had a very difficult impact on the nursing home sector. Uh, what, so what you have in that figure that was uh, undertaken by Prince and Lawler was the issue of staffing, uh, issue of infection control, for example, and energy. So that was looking at all of the costs. I mean, any business owner listening to us this morning will know that auto-enrolment of pensions, uh, sick pay schemes, uh, the extra bank holiday, for example. So there are significant costs there in terms of, which are all very welcome, I might add, but those significant costs have to be met out of the Fair Deal scheme because the Fair Deal scheme is the funding mechanism for nursing home care. So what we've seen over the last number of years is that inflation obviously is running at hyperinflation rates as we speak, uh, whereas the regular annual increases are something of the order of 1.5% to 2%. So on the one hand, uh, you're playing catch-up, but on the other hand, then you're looking at a situation whereby energy in particular... And I think the other element of the scheme which was announced, which is disappointing, is that it's on energy only. Uh, we would have made a, a, the, the argument, for example, that other costs like laundry, like clinical waste and food had also increased significantly in terms of the care of older persons. And that also needed to be taken into account in this scheme. But unfortunately, to date, it hasn't. Okay, so it's €194 extra a week to house a resident than it would have been this time last year. Um, What will this £10 scheme that the government has announced do to help offset that €194 on a weekly basis? 
Well, that's the difficulty, is that if you average that out, and this is a maximum amount uh, that is set aside, €5,250 per month, it averages about you know, fourteen ninety seven, so ballpark around fifteen euros per resident per week additional, and that's the maximum amount someone can claim. So that's clearly a long, long way away from the one hundred ninety four euro that was okay. independently assessed as as required uh, to, I suppose, ensure a sustainable nursing home. So that brings it down to one hundred and eighty euro per resident per week. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it would be different across. That's averages. Mm, I mean, the yeah, things yeah. that we're discussing this morning are mm. averages. I mean, some nursing homes may, for example, be in a contract with their energy supplier, which has them on a better rate than somebody mm, else. Mm, mm. So there are uh, idiosyncrasies there as well across the sector sure. in terms of of the, the the scale and the size of nursing homes and the type of care people provide. But that's averages across mm. all of the nursing homes across Ireland. Yes. Okay, but that average will help all of us to understand uh, why yeah. you're looking for more help. Uh, and if you don't get more help, uh, what does it mean? Um, uh, will there be more closures? Well, I, I think it's an inevitable, unfortunately. Um, and, and, you know, I, 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 I hate using that word because I think all nursing homes who have operated for the last 10, 12, 15, 20 years, you know, they, they stretch every sinew of their body to keep the, keep the nursing home open. But they are facing a situation. You know, there was a, uh, one of our members spoke yesterday on, a, on another station uh, speaking of, uh, you know, the increased costs, the increased um, in terms of capital uh, requirements, the increased in, in, in uh, interest rates, for mm-hmm. example. So all of those are basically saying to people that this isn't viable. So there will be yeah. uh, some more nursing homes, unfortunately, in the coming weeks and months, okay. which will be unviable. That does but not there, you know, well. It's not too late. Uh, it's not too late. I think we, we shouldn't be overly fatalistic about it. And this is not about, we want to mm. work with, with the minister and government to address this crisis okay. and to get an understanding of the crisis and put it on a, on a sustainable footing. All right, Tig, I'm out of time. Thank you for your time. Thanks for Thank joining you, us. Tig Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland. That's our programme for today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. Maggie McGuire researched. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. LMFM podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.